and welcome back to another episode of the Boombasticast. That's right. With the great and wonderful Mr. Matthew Fisher and the one and the only Alexander Hawk, which is me. And I get to be great and wonderful this, this episode. I love it. Heck yeah. yeah. You're a great and wonderful man. I love you, man. It's a dirty, I love you too. It's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it. So, I'll, you know, I can be great and wonderful this, this week. You know what I mean? Yeah, he, ah. he's, he's the yin to my yang, and I'm the yang to his yin. If you see us putting that machine together, you might want to turn your kids away. Because <laughs> when our powers combine, it's a problematic situation. We get boombastical. Yeah. So, well, Alex, yeah. Well, how you doing over there, kid? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, today, we are lucky to announce that we are going to be interviewing Mr. Mark Christopher Lawrence. Now, oh, yeah. uh, he's a comedian. He's all around uh, cool guy. He's been in some great films. He's been in Pursuit of Happiness. He's been in K-Pax. He's been in uh, the TV series Chuck. That's where I first saw gigantic him. fan of Hawks. Oh, yeah. Huge fan of Chuck. Yeah, love the TV series. And also, he was in Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Glorious. A, what a, yeah. Yeah, as a burly attendant, which... I have to admit, I didn't realize until, you know, I started doing my research into. Um, uh, but he's been in a lot of TV shows. He's been in some great movies. Definitely a very talented actor and comedian. I've seen some of his stand-up, and uh, it, he's funny. It's great. I mean, it's, and also another thing is uh, he has a, a great uh, comic uh, timing. And uh, his company is very uh, family friendly. I mean, he's he's his kind of comedy. You can take the uh, the family and the kids to watch it, and everyone can sit down and have a good laugh with it. Yes, yeah, a very good guy, very talented. And I gotta say, I'm I'm very happy that we were able to get him on the show. Me too. Me too. You know, that was uh, an Alexander the Great Hawk find. You know what I mean. It's like he, he goes into the wild and he finds these people. He's so magnificent in doing such things. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, what can I say? Go in the wild. I bring out my big uh, game hunter rifle and I just, you know, try to pick off the, the prime of the crop for us to interview on this show. Well, we appreciate that. You know what I mean? For shizzle, for shizzle, for shizzle. Um, yeah, Mark Christopher Lawrence, gigantic comedy career his his you know that's what i'm big that's what i'm a big fan of from this gentleman right off the bat is the comedy aspect the impact of comedy you know doing the stand-up which i you know i love as well as uh some gigantic comedy shows you know uh television you know me and the hawk man been saying we want been kicking into some comedy and television for a while and this man is a pure example of that direction um so quite you know, quite possibly, you could argue the biggest shows that have ever been on television. This gentleman has uh, been around on on generations, generations. You know what I mean? We're talking ninety, uh, maybe some eighties, maybe even some eighties, uh, but nineties. You know what I mean? Two thousands, two thousand tens, still killing it to this day. Um, if it was a show that you liked, this dude was probably on it. You know what I mean? Making you smile, making you smile. Oh, yeah. Very excited to have him on the show. Yeah, I mean, it's, 
he, he's done a lot of stuff. He's also uh, was on the uh, George Wentz show, which after Mint, I I did not see when it was on, but uh, both Matt and I are big Cheers fans. Well, I believe it was so, early early two thousands. I believe it was on. Uh, they were everybody from from yesterday was getting a show kind of dancing got his own show. Um, let me see. Woody Harrelson was killing it in the movie, so he wasn't doing the show thing. But George Went was doing it. Cliff, it ever gave Cliff his own show? Well, I mean, they did give him Toy Story. He was they gave him Toy Story. I mean, that, that was a well. Well, Cliff really, uh, uh, for the most part, he, uh, he he's killing it voice acting wise. Yeah, as IMDb, he's like on like almost every Pixar film and. Uh, uh, he, he lends his voice to a lot of... And it's interesting when you talk about voice acting, you have two types of voice actors. You have those that can do a million different voices, and then you have people like him who have a very distinct voice that works for a very distinct type of character, which, you know, people like to use in, in animation. Right. No, I'm with that. Yeah. I support that to the fullest. But, uh Yeah. And like I said, uh, we're psyched. We can't wait to uh, talk about uh, about his career, about uh, uh, Mark's uh, experiences, and uh, everything from comedy to film to TV. This guy has done it all. I'm just really happy to uh, get a chance to talk to him about this. He's like Alexander Hawk. He's done a little bit of everything. <laughs> a little bit of everything. A little bit, little, little um, sprinkled in, little sprinkled in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this Chuck show. Now I'm not really too familiar with the Chuck show. Now what is this? What is the, what's the whole plot to the Chuck show? I know you were a big fan of it, and when this gentleman came across the platter, I uh, know Chuck was the first uh, vehicle that popped out of your mouth that you were so excited about. Well, I mean, um, for those who might or might not know, uh, Chuck was a TV series that starred Zachary uh, uh, Levy. Le- uh, Levi, uh, Levy, I, I think that's how say, you um, yeah, yeah, Suzanne uh, yeah. himself. That's, uh, I mean, I'm sure he's did other things, but that was the first thing that I saw him. He was the showrunner on that. Right. He was the big star. And the entire premise is you have this guy that works at, in this reality, a buy more, which is, of course, a parody of Best Buy. And uh, he was part of the nerd herd, which, you know, goes around and fixes your computers. A very, uh, a very uh, genius that ends Geek up- Squad. Yeah, the Geek Squad. It's literally the Geek Squad. That's funny that it's literally Best Buy and the Geek Squad, James. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. And of course, of course, they couldn't use the exact names because of copyright infringement. But... Uh, They're right in that line, I feel. Right in that line. Yeah. But uh, the character Chuck gets, like, all the information, dark, deep secrets of the government that download into his brain, so... You know, when he sees something, he sees a flash, and then he can tell you, oh, by seeing that guy's scar or that guy's ring, that, you know, he's a, a secret agent from Moscow that has 5,000 kills under his belt. And, of I course, mean, he, he, it's almost kind of like a little matrixy. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, he can, you know, all of a sudden know how to do kung fu or some other cool little things because all that's been downloaded into his head. There's a movie called uh, Glitched. By Andrew Lau, the Boombastic films actually released uh, yes, way yes. back when. And have you seen it? 
I know of it. I it's actually... on our YouTube for free if anybody wants to go check it out on the Boombastic Media page. Um, but that was, I, I believe that was before Chuck, I will say. And uh, same plot from what I'm told and from what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those things, you know. But Chuck, I, I would be willing to bet that whoever wrote Chuck worked at Best Buy, maybe yeah. Geek Squad. That's a little too close to home, too close to the sleeve, as they say. You know what I mean? But um, and uh, Mark Christopher Lawrence, who we're going to be talking to, yes. played Big Mike. Now, Big Mike is the boss, the the guy that runs everything for Buy More, and you know. Uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of, uh, he, it's a, he's a great character. He's kind of, um, you know, he, he, he's kind of the cool boss that tries to take everything easy, but he's still, you know, he wants to make sure his store runs and is, is, is the best and everyone's, you know, doing their job because if they're doing their job, he doesn't have to do his job as much. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Mark Christopher Lawrence really, um, yeah, really uh, does a great job and a lot of fun. Hilarious, hilarious from beginning to end. Yeah, my favorite performance of his is uh, Tone Deaf in Fear of a Black Hat. I love that movie. Um, Rusty Cundiff, the writer director, also stars in it. Um, also, details from the hood. I'm a big fan of. I think he's a very underrated director. But uh, Tone Deaf in that, it's good. It's like a mockumentary hip-hop come up. It's almost like that CB4, I think it is, the Chris Rock hip-hop one. Um, I don't know which one came out earlier. That's a good question. Um, but they ride the same line. Um, that's a good watch. You know, that's on Amazon for anybody out there to peep. And that was hard to get for the longest time. Came out, I believe, in 1994. Um, and, uh, yeah, it captivates everything. It kind of captivates the hip-hop hip-hop world of that time and all the different characters that you would get within that community. I know that his character is kind of, he's like the DJ um, and the other, the, the MC star buttonheads and he's kind of trying to be the peace, you know, the peace bringer there. And uh, it's cool. It's one of the, I love those mockumentary type films. You know what I mean? They're a lot of fun, a lot of fun, but yeah, this is definitely going to be good times. There's definitely a lot to talk out. He's in a living color, you know what I mean? A living color is one of the best of all time, you know what I mean? For sure. No doubt about that. Love it. Living color. I, you know, a lot of humor that I feel like I, I, I write or even say, I think, is from a living color days. It's just that, like, crazy, off the wall, you know, offensive, raucous, you know what I mean? Um, you know, SNL was like more cleaned up because it was Channel Seven, where it was more widespread. But I think in Love and Color was Fox, I believe, which is uh, it, it was it was just well seen, but it had always also had like Married with Children and shows like that that were like pushing the boundaries of comedy. You know, so like it it worked. But yeah, Love and Color is uh, the bomb. I'm pretty sure that was Fox. Later, Mad TV would go to Fox, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Fox always kind of pushed the envelope when it came to Fox 25 was the bomb diggity in the 90s. Oh, heck yeah. It was was almost a rebellious station with some of the comedies that it put on. You know what I mean? One day, mark my words, one day in the the, the not-so-distant future, 
somebody will probably be doing a documentary on how how pushing the envelope Fox TV was. You know what I mean? And because uh, you got to think, you know, these stations have a gigantic audience, so their their influence is heavy. So you know the the influence of a studio like the big channel, like that, pumping out. You know, a little rougher comedy out there to the masses. That is something to, um, I feel, be applauded. But other people could probably say, slap them on the wrist for that. That's bad things. But uh, it all depends on where you fall with that argument, I guess. But in Living Color, gracious, the same year that they did Fear of a Black Hat. You know what I mean? 1993, Year of the Wicked Hollows. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. You know, um, hell yeah. So, oh, what do we got? Somebody coming through? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're in a little bit of a waiting time, I think. We got, you got 15 minutes to pop in before he pops in. Anything else you want to bring? Do you want to talk about? Um, not really. I, uh, just that, uh, I actually don't really have much more. I just uh, want to do a uh, uh, bring-in. Yeah. Uh, so with no, so with no further ado, here is Mark Christopher Lawrence to Boombasticast. Hey, how you doing? Hey, good. What's happening? Matt, how you doing? Holding on. Another beautiful day in sunny Southern California. That's what we like to hear. That's what we like to hear. We got a sunny day over in Massachusetts today. Uh, there you go. Is that, that's, that's your one for the year? Yeah, that's our one. We had rain yesterday <laughs> and the day before. Yeah. But what can you do, you know? We keep it fun. Yeah. yeah it's always interesting because uh, I believe that we literally have one day of spring every year. But, Unfortunately. Uh, yeah. But I mean, like I said, I mean, I'm I'm so happy that you agreed to uh, go and have this interview with us. I mean, uh, we're both big fans. We love your work, and uh, we've been watching uh, your stuff on TV and movies. And um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, I was uh, I was doing a little research, and I went on your Wikipedia page, and it made a comment that in school you were part of the debate team. Yeah, yeah. Um, my tenth grade teacher got me involved in speech, and uh, that ultimately led to a, a debate scholarship to USC. And I didn't debate; I did individual events like speech to entertain, uh, oral interpretation of literature, um, you know, persuasive speaking, expository speaking, impromptu speaking, that stuff like that. Oh, that's interesting. I mean. Um... So, uh, also, it made a comment about um, uh, immersing in forensics. Were you into that? Or? Well, forensics is, is is speech. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The speech thing you're talking about was like you do like announcements and such. What what type, what exactly was that? When you well, uh, it's it's competitive speaking. It's uh, you know, like I said, our oral interpretation of literature. You know, speech to entertain. Um, uh, impromptu speaking, expository speaking, persuasive speaking, you know, there's all these different events. Uh, 1984, uh, I took four events to the national tournament and won them all. And yeah, it was, okay. I was saying speaking of the nation, that's how I ended up at USC. 
that's awesome. So, yeah. It was just a teacher that got, got took an interest and got me in, involved in something other than gangbang, you know. Which is a very positive thing, yeah. <laughs> yes. So that was kind of like the foundation of what would become with like the stand-up as well as like the acting then, you know what I mean? That was big. Absolutely, absolutely. She introduced me to a guy who uh, was one of her former students, and I was doing the uh, same piece of literature that he was doing, that he did when he competed. And so she had him come coach me. And turns out he was doing uh, these shows at USC called Evening of Soul. And so they were basically a variety show and talked me into doing a little bit of stand-up. And that's how I started stand-up in 11th grade, you know, doing shows for him. Oh, yeah. The biggest fear, I think, of all that is getting up in front of people. And when you when you transition, when you're young and you just get that out of your head, that this, the heightenedness of people right. is the limit, you know what I mean? Right. I, it, it, um, you know, once you, once you get past that, it's like, it's just second nature, you know, like, like now I can get up and talk to anybody. Yeah. It's crazy how much that holds people back when you think about it, that fear of just getting up in front of people. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think, I think, uh, we we're afraid of, well, of the unknown. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that that's, that's, crosses the border on so many different issues, you know, that, that we have in life, you know, all the stuff that we're going through in our country right now, you know, all the racist crap, and it's because people are afraid of the unknown. It's like, it's like you know, you get to know me, it's like, I'm just a regular dude. <laughs> right. Agreed. Yeah. 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 I mean, speech and, and being able to convey thoughts and reaching uh, people through whether it's film, TV, or just just speaking, uh, the oratory process itself is very important in reaching people and trying to bring people to, you know, with different uh, viewpoints that aren't their own. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, because I mean, if you look at if you look at uh, children, for example, you know, uh, kids don't see color; they just see another kid. You know, racism is a is a learned behavior. You know, we're taught that, and. Uh, once we get out of that mindset and realize that we're all the same, you know, sky's the limit. You know, with comedy, I think comedy was a big breaking down the barrier with race. You know what I mean? You get up there, everybody can just kind of relate and laugh and you let everybody know they're all the same type deal. Yeah. But people are so thin skinned now. It's like, it's like, you can't just like back in the day, like George Carlin, he would just point something out. He wouldn't give you a solution. He'd point out the problem, and if you do that now, people, people, you know, want to cancel you. Yeah, yeah. They're afraid of it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Was George one of your influences coming in, or, you know, did you have influences, or was it just kind of, like, with the comedy thing, or was it, like, when you said they put you on stage for the first time, they kind of pushed you to do it? Yeah. Did you, well, was the first, it, yeah. The first time I went up, I went up at the comedy store in Hollywood. Okay. Um, I did three minutes, and um, you know, me and, me and my best friend, we went over there and signed up and got on stage. And I was, I was supposed to be on at ten, and we kept getting pushed back as these headliners kept coming in. Yeah. And then uh, at one point, Robin Williams came in and dropped the forty-five minute set. Jeez. And then it, 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 it was like two people in front of me. I was so glad I didn't go right after him. Yeah. Because nobody was listening. Yeah. And then finally, I got on at like midnight, 
And uh, Louis Anderson said to me after, he goes, hey, you got something, kid. Keep writing. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was the beginning of it. And then uh, and that's when Perry started putting me into those shows. Um, and, and ultimately, you met Rusty Cundiff, who wrote and directed a lot of the Dave Chappelle show and Fear of Black Hat. And, yeah. You know, we became friends and, uh, you know, still friends to this day. I love Rusty Cundiff. We are talking before the show. I think he's very underrated. I, you know, I love Oh, Absolutely. Him. Fear of a Black Hat's great, and Tales from the Hood. I, it's like one of the, my favorite horror movies from the '90s. I love it. Yeah, we lost Clarence uh, this week. I know, sad. He's the best. Yeah, you know. What I mean? Well, well, we're gonna we're gonna take a journey through the career. So when we get get closer to that period, we'll ask if you had any stories okay. with Clarence or anything like that. Because yeah, yeah, we love Clarence. He's so intense. He was such a. There'll never be another. You know, he's one of those actors. There'll never be another one of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, he he, uh, he was very intense. Yeah. <laughs> so it it started kind of with the stand up, right? Doing the stand up stuff, and you were doing that. Uh, Alex said you got a chance to work with um, one of my favorite people of all time, Rodney Dangerfield. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I was I was opening for uh, I believe it was Jimmy McGee at Rodney's place in Vegas, and then. Um, Rodney was in, involved in a lawsuit with Caesar's Palace because he had burned his eyes in the jacuzzi. <laughs> and they asked him, well, how'd you burn your eyes? He says, well, there was a couple of broads in there. <laughs> and so he canceled the weekend of shows. So they sued him. And then uh, he countersued and won. So I get to the get to the uh, showroom that night, and Dutch, the sort of last bastion of mafioso Vegas, yeah. said to me, "He says, hey, uh, I sent all those other hacks home. You're going to do 30 minutes tonight, and then introduce Rodney, and that's the show." I said, um, "I said, what do you want me to say?" He goes, "It's Rodney Dangerfield. Just say his name." <laughs> <laughs> and then got to hang out with Rodney pretty much all night that night until the sun came up, which is a lot of fun. Oh my God, that would have been great! Yeah, you yeah, the, great story. the stories. <laughs> hey, do you have? Are there any stories we could hear on the podcast of the, that that night of the crazy debauchery? Or uh, there was definitely debauchery. I, you know, it's like I, I uh, everywhere we went, we never had to pay for anything. It was just like we'd go somewhere. We went to one place for appetizers, went to another place for dinner, went to another place for dessert, and then ended up at Rodney's penthouse where he had a three-piece band in there playing. And it was just just crazy. I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, when you get some dough, you can do this. <laughs> I really wanted they, – they really need to make a movie about Roddy, man. I read that – he wrote that book. I read that book in, like, three days. And uh, it's a lot of tragic stuff. A lot of it's, like, oh, tragic yeah. stuff. But, like, the, the fun stories and, and all that crazy wackiness, there would be a great movie out of all that. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, and he was really, really a nice man. It's like, uh, I remember I introduced him. I said, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Rodney Dangerfield. And he comes home, he goes, he goes how about my son, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. Hell yeah. Yeah, just a good dude, man. He is, you know, not only is the comedic genius, I mean, he opened up so many doors for different comedians that it's like ridiculous. I don't know why yeah. it never was a movie. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it should. It should be. I mean, it definitely should be. You know what I mean? I, 
it's like it's like you know who would you who would you get to play in like you know it's like a it's like you think of sort of the big name comics. I don't think that there's any one that can handle it. But then there's a couple of guys that are that are that are uh, kind of unknown that I think would be great. You I, know? I think that'd be a, unknown would be perfect for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And everybody yeah. loves everybody loves Ronnie. The best impression I've ever seen was I used to work at a cell phone company, and the UPS guy did the best Rodney of all time. So like. <laughs> There's people out there that they could discover and find yeah. and completely just become Rodney and like you know win a nice award, right, right. You know when when they jumped into that thirty minute spot when they had to, when they canceled out those people. Were you ready for it? Because I know when you said the three minutes before, oh, like yeah, three minutes sounds like like short amount of time, but when you're up there, it's like a lifetime, right? Yeah. Well, by then I was already uh, featuring for other comics. Okay. You know? cool. So, so this uh, Bob Zaney used to book Rodney's place, and so he had me in, in the host opening spot, which I think was twenty minutes, yeah. and then there was like a, a, a thirty minute spot, and then there was the headliner who do forty five, and that was the show. And um, but I was already going on the road with other comics, you know, as a feature. So I I do thirty. That was basically what I was doing at the time. Was thirty anyway, so yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, Bob Zaney is a funny guy. He seen him on one of the specials. He had uh, he had that joke about how the girl said if he lost like eighty pounds, should fuck him, and then he's like, if I lost eighty pounds, I wouldn't want to fuck you or something (laughs) like that. (laughs) Yeah, well, he he lost like a hundred pounds and and half of his act. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that goes with it. I mean, when you're when you're heavy, I think you a lot of that goes into your act. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I try not to do anything about, you know, me being heavy. Just like, I think I have like one joke early in my act because I don't want to have to rewrite <laughs> if I drop a bunch of weight. Well, there, you get in trouble later in life. They'll come back and say that you're body shaming yourself. Yeah. <laughs> my, my favorite one is I was watching one of your stand-ups about the love handles, about oh, yeah. squeezing the love handles. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I got plenty of love handles on myself, so I I, I know I know the pain and also the the pleasure of just squeezing the love out of them. Right, you know, and they've been with me for so long, thick and thicker. <laughs> yeah, sure. So we got we'll jump into some acting work. Um, yeah, looks like the the first thing you did was uh, uh, some television. Yeah, my first show was um, first, my first audition was for Hill Street Blues, and it's 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 one of two drug dealers I played my whole career. And, and, you know, I auditioned and it was on the machine before I got home. So then for the next year, I'd run home and check my machine after every audition. <laughs> Best thing that ever happened to me because now I just I do it and let it go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not gonna get them all. Yeah. <laughs> Followed up by, uh, you know, the following of your first film, Caddyshack 2. Yeah. You know, how'd that come about? Same process. Back then, I was still jumping through all of the hoops. It's like you go in, you read for the casting assistant who gives you a callback for the casting director, who gives you a callback for the director, who gives you a callback for the producers, and then you got a job. Yeah. (laughs) it's like now I'm at a point where I go straight to producer. I'm either going to get a job or I'm not. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cut Thank God. Just go straight to the producer. That's that's what you got to do. Just cut yeah. out the middleman. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. You you being friendly with Rodney, did you did you have did he ever have an opinion of like uh him not being in Caddyshack too? No, we didn't even talk about it. Um yeah. I think at that point I I, I, I um it was just just having so much fun hanging out with him that yeah, yeah. that it was just just cool. Um, Jackie Mason really bailed them out because yeah, Rodney didn't yeah. want to do the film, and uh, they treated Jackie terribly. It's wow. like it was it was it was embarrassing to watch you know, the way they treated him. Yeah, even the PAs wouldn't call him Mister Mason. It's just hey Jackie, you need you on set. And Chevy Chase got to set, and they were kissing his butt left and right. And it's like, you know, you guys don't get it. This is the star of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, so it was really unfortunate. You know, Jackie had his shtick. I mean, sure, he wasn't Rodney, but, but right. it, it was like, not like that film was written so brilliantly. That <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and no, then, which is probably one of the reasons Rodney didn't want to do it. <laughs> probably, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's sad. I didn't even consider that. You know, people giving him thinking to be thinking that he just like took it out of Rodney's hands or something when it was the. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, that wasn't the case. Rodney didn't want to do it. They got they got into uh, back and forth, and Rodney said, "Fine, I, I don't need it." <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh. Hey. Well, that's unfortunate for Jackie. Jackie yeah. You know. Yeah. Peace. You know. And funny thing is, Jackie was a nice man too. It's yeah. like he, he uh, really positive. You know, you know, said he's like really positive. His, his shtick is very sort of, sort of uh, uh, grumpy old man, but he was really a, a good dude. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's for me. me and Alex always talk about it. You'll see, like when you're coming coming up as a kid or whatever, you'll see these character actors that like play these bad guys a lot, and you kind of start to not like them as a kid. And then when you right. grow up, you're like, oh, they're just really good actors. You know what I mean? Yeah. That happens. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's like sometimes kids don't make the transition to adult actors. It's like it's like they're good as a kid because they're free and they don't have, like, any training that, 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 that bogs them down. And then as they get to be an adult, because they don't have any training, they can't make the transition. You know, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Regina King. In classic example of of the opposite, you know, she she as a kid wasn't fantastic, but was interesting, and but as an adult, just a beast of an actor. Just you know, was from what was that movie with with uh, Will Smith and and uh, Gene Hackman, oh. where they're chasing him around, and she played she played Will's wife, Enemy of the State, Enemy of the State. Yeah, yeah. she was. By the time she hit that movie, she had hit her stride. She was awesome. Yeah, yeah. And now she's got an Oscar. <laughs> oh yeah. Actually, I think it's kind of funny that you talk about child actors that transition. Um, I think maybe I'm totally wrong, but I mean, when when I'm I'm watching, I notice that a lot of times you'll have like a child actor that doesn't do the child actor star roles. They yeah. are better at the transition to adulthood. Yeah, yeah. And then those that are like the Macaulay Culkins are those that are like the star. The and then fall off. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's an interesting observation. It's like I, I never really thought of it that way. But, but yeah, you're right. A, a perfect example, like you said, with Regina King, but also uh, Sam Rockwell. I mean, mm-hmm. he's another one where, you know, 
I didn't realize that he he started as a kid until I started, you know, you know, watching some other stuff and making the comparison. But yes. he's another one that you know he never had the big you know starring kid roles, but because he was in the industry as he got older, you know, he yeah he got better. Yeah, I mean, what was it, Green Mile? Where? Oh yeah. Whew, just you know, he he was he was he was multifaceted in that movie. It's like his 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 he showed his entire range. He was funny. He was tragic. He was he was uh, jackass. You know what I mean? It was just really, really fantastic performance in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. Uh, yeah, uh, one of the things. Um, also, after Caddyshack, uh, he also was in Terminator Two: Judgment Day. Yeah, first big movie. Yeah. First big movie was at that, at that point probably the most money I'd ever made in a film. I was supposed to work two days, ended up working six weeks. Went back and did a couple of weeks of, of pickup shots, and you know, it was just really a fantastic time uh, in my career. It, um, I remember, uh, you know, sometimes shooting days, you go, you started like five in the morning, and then you you go until the sun goes down, and then we switch to nights. And once we switched to nights, it was like, you know, sundown to sun up. <laughs> And and uh, just I, I I was so fascinated by the process. I, I found myself watching scenes, and I should have been sleeping, arrested, waiting for my scene to come up. Yeah, yeah. and then and then work would, would finish, and I had to drive home all sleepy. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that was that was a, that was a fantastic time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to stay up for that. You got to see James Cameron, one of the the masters, oh. work. You know, how was that? Seeing him work, do his thing. Brilliant, brilliant. I mean, he, he um, knew what he wanted to see and, um, you know, shot until he got it. You know, that when we chased Linda down that hallway, you know, we must have ran down that hallway 20 times. <laughs> At one point, he goes, he goes, hey, when you guys come around the corner, try to stay closer to her so we can keep getting the shot. I said, well, you got to slow her down. Our character's a burly attendance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she was working out twice a day. <laughs> Gigantic, hundreds and hundreds of people. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Hey, little known fact: um, in the video where Rodney King is getting his beaten, in the background you see these big giant lights way off in the distance. Those are lights from Terminator Two. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Craziness. The uh, Terminator 2, quite possibly one of the best sequels ever made, you know what I mean? Oh, that changed the way we watch movies. Uh, you know, Michael Jackson started it with the morphing, you know, it was $10,000 a second at that point. So when they did it in Terminator 2, it was, it was still expensive like that. And uh, now you can do it on your iPhone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's technology. Technology, I mean... Yeah, you have an idea, and then you uh, try to find ways to do it. And when you first do yeah. it, it's like so expensive. But now, like you said, now you can do it on an iPhone. And right. yeah, I mean, there's so many things that I think come out of things like Terminator Two and other films, where you know they are like, "Well, we want to do this. How can we do this?" And they find right. a way to do it. And when they do that. Uh, I mean, after, it, it's it's like the old saying that getting the first job usually is the hardest, but afterwards it's it's easier getting work because you've you've gone over that hill of getting the first job. And it's right. the same thing with technology. When 
you finally get to the point where you're able to actually do it. It might be rudimentary at first, but when you get there, then it's easier. And then as time goes on, it becomes easier to do and, and cheaper to do also. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I, I say that, that Hill Street Blues change the way we watch TV because all the, all the cop shows are, are, are fashioned after Hill Street Blues, you know, that sort of grittiness, that, that yeah. realism. And then uh, Terminator 2 changed the way we watch movies just because of the special effects and the things that, that you can do in a film now. And it was it was Terminator 2, you know, leading leading the way on that. Yeah. You know, but you got to give a nod to Michael Jackson because he did it first. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, I was, I was watching an old movie. I don't even know what it was. I was flipping through the channels late at night at 2, 3 in the morning. And uh, there was there was this old film where uh, Lon, oh it was a werewolf Lon Chaney yeah, yeah. and and so they sort of did a morph morphing thing but it was clearly an edit but it was a slow fade you know from from him as his normal character going into the werewolf is like slowly it's like the he had hair on his face yeah. his eyebrows are all big then he had these claws it was like oh man that's like Old school morphing. Yeah. Well, MJ was a big horror fan. You know, he loved it. Oh, yeah. And he did Thriller, of course. He had uh, yeah. just directed, who just did America Werewolf in London. And I believe Rick, uh, uh, was it, it might have been Rick Baker did the effects, or Botine did uh, the, the werewolf effects in Thriller, where he, 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 where he yeah. the wolf. Yeah, Rick, Rick Baker had a fantastic career. Yeah. You know, just, you know, and, and a lot of it was because of Michael. You know, some yeah. of the stuff that he did with Michael was just that people were like, hey, I want, I want that. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like they're known, they're gigantically huge in horror, but horror is such like a small audience when you think about it. But like yeah. Michael Jackson is like worldwide, huge, everywhere, mainstream. Like that's definitely the biggest thing they've done. You know what I mean? It's working with Michael. Yeah. yeah. Well, I always say Michael is so big that, that people spend thousands of dollars to go to his concert and get right down front so they can pass out. Yeah. I was like, that, that, that's love right there. I said, I've never been loved. My mother not once has passed out. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you could moonwalk, you should be passing out. It's that moonwalk. <laughs> that thing is slick. That's too slick. Oh, man. Yeah, it is. Rest yeah, in peace, MJ. I, I can moon that. pie, I tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a master of moon pie. <laughs> The uh, yeah, the thriller has the thriller is the greatest video ever made. I love that. Oh, well, it changed videos. It sure. changed, you know, it, it went to making people started making stories, you know, with videos. They started making movies, really. You know, yeah. thriller was a movie. It's got Vincent Price narrated it to the narration. You got a gigantic director. He always had huge. He had Scorsese direct one of his videos. He had huge directors. Yeah. I remember when Marlon Brando wouldn't return to do like Superman two, he did like a Michael Jackson music video. I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, craziness. How 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 like when you were making Terminator two and that was being made? Was the the, the buzz around that gigantically huge? Did everybody know how big it was going to be? Because the it first was, one was like a success, you know. It was a huge buzz, but so secretive. Yeah, it's yeah. like. It's like, uh, like, let's say I want to go and read for something now. They'll send you the script and they'll send you the sides and, and you, so you can be prepared there. 
you know, I had to go the day before if I wanted to read the script and read the script and then um, look at the sides while I was there. And then the next day I could come back early and work work on the sides. They wouldn't let you take them off, off of uh, the uh, production office, you, out of the, the casting office. You had to stay there with it. Yeah. You know, just hugely secretive, but the buzz around Hollywood was fantastic. And I didn't think I got it because it was like, you know, two months later, I was looking for for a new field of work because it's like uh, all my friends from debate were clerking for judges and working for, for major law firms. And here I was, hadn't worked in about two and a half, three months. And then I get a call from the, the wardrobe designer saying, hey, uh, we need your sizes. And I was like, for what? And she goes, uh, Terminator 2. I was like, oh. I was like, I didn't even know I got that. It was like two months ago. She goes, yeah, well, you, you got it. And so when I got off the phone with her, I called my agent and said, hey, uh, I just got a call from Wardrobe from, from Terminator 2. They said, yeah, we're on the phone with them right now. <laughs> it's, it's funny when the wardrobe knows before everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> right. We tell the agent the wardrobe department's getting their cut. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Determinator 2, I, iconic. Dude. I, one of the biggest movies of my youth coming out, like the pop for that movie was huge. Yeah. Yeah, one of the, one of the biggest movies ever. You know, at that yeah. point, it was it was the biggest budget ever. And then, uh, you know, it's like uh, it, it, most of it was was you know that morphing, but but um, uh, like craft services, you know, they had to be spending ten, twenty grand in craft services. Yeah. Movie. You know, it's like uh, middle of the night. You know, you'd smell like what is that? And and there's there's oak and smoke. There used to be this place called Oak and Smoke in Pasadena. This awesome barbecue place, and they're they're cooking it up on site. <laughs> like, oh man, just, just awesome. And that and that wasn't even dinner. That was just that was just snacks. <laughs> I remember uh, we we, the, we had Hollywood's been coming to Massachusetts the last couple of years and. Uh, I went on a the, Here Comes the Boom came around and we, we, we went on that and we walked around and it was funny because you can see like when you got non-union and union people yeah, and like the union it's like the non-union was like it was like rotted like lettuce and like fruit that's going bad and then like the union people was uh, like someone's prom it was like all decorated like someone's prom with like all the <laughs> food it was like ridiculous yeah. You know, and the thing is, it's like, it's like, you know, why do you treat people that way? Because you have to have some non-union folks as extras yeah. to make your movie. Treat everybody nice. It's like that, that, that's just the thing. It's like, you're, you're, you're barely paying them if you're paying them. Right. You know, right. at least feed them well. <laughs> I think they do it. It's their incentive to pay the union fees. You know, yeah. like, well, you pay us, yeah. so you can eat good like this. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I was on uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop when it was around here, and uh, <laughs> they they were they were really bad to uh, us non-union people. Oh. They, literally, uh, on one day we had we worked seven hours. Now, in uh, union rules, when you hit seven hours, they're supposed to feed you six. Oh, six. Okay, six. <laughs> Well, well, seven hours. You, 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 you're into penalties at that point. <laughs> well, anyway, we did seven hours, and and the guy says, "Okay, you can. Uh, here's the deal. Uh, you can either go, uh, you know, uh, sag eats first, uh, non-union eats second, 
and you can go and eat, get out of line, or you can stay in line, get your vouchers and your waivers, and just go home without eating. And most of us stayed in line because we were tired and we wanted to do our vouchers and just go home. Right. The guy stood up and he started bitching at us and saying that if he saw one of us even put a mouthful of food and he'd make sure we never walk in that town again. Wow. See, that's uncalled for. Yeah. And, and I have to admit, I, that was like one of the last times I ever really went to like a bigger budget film as, as extra. I, I yeah. stay in the independent world where, you know, you might have, uh, you might not be as, as big or getting it out as much as like one of the bigger budget films. Yeah. For the most part, not saying that it, it, there's not some that aren't you know great, but for the most part, everyone's everyone knows that you're taking time out of your busy life to try to make something work. So right. for the most part, people are willing to you know aren't going to give you any kind of that kind of crap. So I mean, yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. I I think I think um, you know when the SAG rep comes around, he. he you should see something like that and you can go, hey, you got to treat people like people. You know, it's just, it's crazy. You know, whether you mean or not. Yeah. I think our union, yeah, our Massachusetts was a little wobbly for a little bit because there wasn't really anybody watching them. You know what I mean? It was yeah, those ordeals. Gotcha. So it was like one of those things. Because yeah. there was a couple yeah. of them, that, a couple of them got fired because they did some uh, uh, unsatisfactory practices. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but what can you do? Um, you know, it ain't child's play when it comes to act, acting in Massachusetts. No child's play three, that's for sure. Mm. Are, you a, are you a horror fan? Did you just you take on that just kind of as like a work, you know, which is cool too. Yeah, yeah I pretty much just don't turn stuff down. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like I'm not in a position where I can do that. It's like it's like work comes up, I go after it. Um, I think there's only been a couple of things that I passed on. You know, um, passed on a couple of commercials because it felt like they were selling cigarettes to kids, and I was like, "Yeah, I don't do that." And then, um, and then there was uh, an episode of, of Black Jesus that I passed on because I didn't want to take the fast track to hell. <laughs> 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 and, and then Rusty ended up directing uh, the last season, and he calls me up. He goes, "Hey, uh, uh, I got a part in, in here for you." He's, he says, that, "Don't worry, you won't go to hell." <laughs> That's what friends are for. <laughs> That's what friends like, are making for. sure you don't go to hell. No, exactly, exactly. Or, or either that, or uh, the the friends that are with you that you're going to hell together. So yeah, right, right. They're greasing the tracks. <laughs> yeah. Well, since we brought up Rusty, how did you actually meet Rusty? Um, through Perry Brents, you know, who got me involved with Evening Soul. That's you know, first okay. time I. Did comedy for Perry was at a show at a junior high school in my in in Compton, and Rusty was was on the show. That's how I met Rusty. Now, Fear of a Black Cat was that his first film? That's his first film, right? Or did he? Was- um, yeah, we we had done a short prior to that called The Trial of NWH, and he was <laughs> using that to shop his writing. And then they were like, uh, ITC Entertainment Group, they wanted to do the do the film. They said we want to make this film. And so he called me. I was on tour in Canada. He called me. He says, "Hey, where are you?" I said, "I'm in Canada." He goes, uh, "ITC wants to do this film." He says, "When are you back?" I told him when I was back. And 
He says, we had to recast uh, one of the parts, though. So we ended up uh, recasting and got Larry B. Scott to play Tasty Takes. Who was great. Yeah. I yeah, love he, that movie. I love that movie to death. It's the only thing that I've done that I just watch and laugh because it's so ridiculous. And, and uh, every day I go, shouldn't we do a clean take? <laughs> 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 my mother, uh, who's who's you know Christian, and she she went to the premiere. I was in Canada working, and so my my sister and my mother went. <laughs> and I get this this message on my pager because I still had a pager back then. Oh, she yeah. goes, um, "Yeah, I saw your little movie. <sighs> I had to go home and repent." <laughs> she said, but it was funny. And then she goes, Did you have to show your booty? Well, that wasn't yours, was it? Yeah. Was it really? I, I didn't write it, Mama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't have, we have budget for a stunt, but, but that was that was me. <laughs> I believe there was some penis used in that scene as well. <laughs> hey, might have been. Might have been. <laughs> Her reaction was hilarious, by the way. She was like, <laughs> well, well, you oh, can is... you can always tell her that that booty you made you made that, that booty. <laughs> right. That booty. He took care of that booty to get to that place. <laughs> you know, and, and spanked it often. Exactly. <laughs> I, I love that movie. For anybody out there that's not familiar with Fear of a Black Hat, uh, it's on Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon. Yeah, go, definitely go check it out. It's like a it's like a, a mockumentary, I believe, of of yeah. like group on the come up and the trials and tribulations of fame it's really good really put together. It's, a, it's a rap spinal tap is what it is exactly exactly <laughs> kind of like a cb4 like the but better. kind of yeah, but better. <laughs> i agree in fact in fact uh, uh cb4 they they came after rusty they wanted him to direct that movie and so we had the meeting this is before we had the deal to do to do for black hat it, it, so they said, he says, well, the only, no, they wanted him to write it. He's, he says, well, the only way I'd write it is if I could direct it. And they were like, well, uh, what would you do? He said, I'd get rid of all this plot and make it a mockumentary like this Spinal Tap. So they didn't hire him and then took the idea. And then, um, so then we shot, we, we went to production before them and, uh, they got out of post before us. They had $10 million. Yeah. So they, they end up going to the big screen first. So we sat on the shelf for a couple of years because ITC didn't know what to do with it. And, and meanwhile, their president got fired. And so they just sat on the shelf. And then finally, when it opened, it only opened on 10 screens nationwide. And uh, But it stayed in the village in New York for two years. Word up. Which is real cool. It's like, you know, but it's, it's, it's before Chuck, it's the, it's the thing that I was, that I get recognized most for. You know, it's like now it's like it's either Chuck or Fear of Black Hat. Yeah. Did they release an official soundtrack for that? Um, uh, yes, years later, uh, soundtrack came out. Um, Larry Robinson, who was the music supervisor, put it out, and uh, you can probably get one online for like eighty bucks. <laughs> does it does it have like the completed tracks that you guys do in the in the like in, in yeah. the, the movie? Yeah, oh, all right, cool, yeah. cool, cool. I love that, yeah. dude. I'm big into getting it like. Re, the repressing of like soundtracks is a huge business right now with all the horror films and action movies. They're repressing them. I would love to see a fair of a black hat repressed. Yeah, that that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be the shit. Yeah, it was it was it was fun to do too. We we had to shoot. You know, we had to record that whole soundtrack in one weekend. 
Because all of a sudden it was like, oh, we start Monday. We need the soundtrack before we start. So we went to Larry's house and shot it at his home studio, you know, the whole weekend and then went to work. <laughs> it's, it is. And it's like a perfect um, time capsule of like that period in the different characters and hip hop. You know what I mean? Like you would have yeah. the different different vibes. You'd have like, you know what I mean? Uh, there was, there'd be like, you know, I love, dude, I love the guy always pulling out the guns. What's it? Uh, Larry B. <laughs> always, dude. I love it. And then up the, the, all the, like all the agents, uh, managers get killed. Uh, yeah. the beepers like everywhere was great. Uh, that was, I love that movie. Everybody go check that movie out. That's a great movie. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I also want to know in that year. And you did an episode of In Living Color, which I didn't want to skip over because I loved In Living Color as a kid. Dude, that was the one of, I think probably the best like sketch show ever put on TV. I love that. Oh yeah, it was it was really good. It, it was really a good show and, and and really a good time for for you know uh, black actors you yeah. know to to work and black comics to work. You know, Jamie Foxx blew up because of it. Um. You know, just a great time, and it's funny because I started shaving my head because of because of doing an episode of that. I, I uh, played Mr. T, yeah. and so they cut my head into the mohawk. And then when it was over, I said had him shave it off. And then I was doing this play, and the director says, "Hey, can you keep that?" I was like, "Yeah." So I kept my head shaved, and then we did some photos. Uh, and at the time, there was this this photographer who would put you in a dark room. And he did a thing called painting with light. And he'd open the lens of the camera and take a flashlight and light your face where he wanted it lit. Huh. And and uh, one night I'm sitting backstage waiting to go on. And I look up on the screen and there's a giant picture of me that he had shot. It was just an awesome picture. And I was like, oh, I should keep this bald head for a while. Because <laughs> yeah. at the time it was, it was just me and Kareem <laughs> with the bald head. And then Michael George started wearing the ball head. Then everybody started wearing the ball head. And uh, I, I decided one day I was going to grow my hair back. And I had a big hole in my afro. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> how, was, how was meeting the Wayne's family? Keenan Ivory and all of the Keenan was gone by then. Oh, you know, really? Keenan, okay. Keenan had already left the show. Yeah. Um, so I think, I, you know, I only met uh, Marlon and um, Sean. Sean. Yeah, yeah, they were the only ones that were there. I think I think Damon was gone too. Um, I think my my scene was with Jamie. So Jamie's a good guy, you said. Oh yeah, Jamie's a good he's dude. Great. Yeah. He, he's 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 really really you know positive dude, very talented. It's yeah. like it's like you, know, you can't you can't deny that that kid's got talent. Yeah, I mean, you watch Ray. Anybody that denies him talent, watch Ray because he's just you, he he is Ray. You know what I mean, Ray Charles. Yeah. You should hear, he, he, there's an interview that he did where he's talking about getting the job. They take him to Ray's house, and oh, they have two pianos, you know, two baby grands, like, side by side. And Ray would go, okay, play this. And he'd play something, and Jamie would play something. He'd play something, Jamie would play it again. And then he'd play something else, and Jamie would play it. And then he gets to jazz, more complicated tunes. And then Jamie was like, mm, not quite getting it. And then he gets it. And then he's not quite getting in the race. I thought, I thought you said you could play, son. <laughs> Jamie tells the story; it's so funny. But but then but then you know he, he finally gets it, and then Ray goes, "Yeah, 
Yeah, that's 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 him. That's the one. <laughs> that's like Ray Charles is iconic. Oh man, yeah, yeah. My 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 probably one of my favorites. You know him and Sam Cooke. I love Sam Cooke. Yeah. The, um, so many great gems, you know. We 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 were part of a show recently where they talking about like he had a really mysterious death, which like nobody kind of knows how he died. It was like yeah, that, it's very fishy. Well, he got he got he got murdered in, yeah. in a hotel. Uh, there was a hooker involved who you know ran out of the hotel room with his pants yeah. and his money, and um, he started going to the the manager's office who said she wasn't there. So he goes back and he, then he comes back to the manager's office and the manager shoots him. Yeah. And um, they, they don't find the hooker that night and they find his pants with $1,500 still in the pocket. His car, his Ferrari is in the parking lot running so he was getting ready to leave and uh, just murdered. But at the time he was creating, you know, there's, there's, there's ASCAP and BMI and he was creating his own publishing. Yeah. And so, so there's, there's rumors that it could have been that. You know, then there's rumors that it could have been Barry Gordy. <laughs> you know, yeah. So there's all, all these rumors. Uh, I read his autobiography because I wanted to do a one-man show about it That'd be cool. uh, years ago. And, and uh, the, the uh, uh, Klein, who owned his music, wouldn't give me the rights to the music. He said, he said what, what are you trying to do? So, yeah, just trying to do like a one man show play. A play? You want to do a play? No, no, we're not giving any rights for that. So then, pretty much, we just do it. Make them make you stop. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but then I just didn't want to want to deal with the hassle of it. Right. You know, yeah, what if it was good and then nobody <laughs> and then now I got to figure out how to do it with music that sounded like Sam Cooke. Right. <laughs> you know, but uh, uh, his his daughter Carla is doing a lot of his music on tour. She's touring, you know, doing a, a touring tribute. Oh, and cool. she's she's pretty talented, too, and, and really an awesome person. I yeah. keep telling her I want to open for her. That'd be cool. Yeah, her, I think her manager is one of my bookers uh, for comedy. And I keep saying, hey, y'all should just let me open for Carlos sometimes. So he was, he was trying to get it started, and then COVID happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, COVID put, killing off everything. Yeah. Yeah, I remember we had that talk about Sam Cooke. I think that's what it was. I think we we thought that the figure out that's kind of the record label had issues with them, so they put him in a dangerous situation. And you know, yeah. I mean, well, he started he started his own label, started yeah. his own artists, and yeah, they don't like that. You know, they don't like that. Nope. <laughs> and, and people were jumping were jumping out of Motown into SAR. You know, so so it was like, mm. so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of you know, maybe's, yeah. <laughs> but nobody, nobody investigated. You know, that that's the thing. There was no investigation. That's part of it. Yeah, it's part of the the, the whole deal with you know, whenever there's no investigating, you're looking yeah. at that. Yeah, I always tell people, you know, like, like, like when you see somebody that, that that murders themselves, I always tell people, you know, if you ever hear telling me killing myself, start the investigation. <laughs> I am not mad at me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, the whole the vibe with those things was super weird. Mm-hmm. But um, we'll go into a happier note. Yes. You did some, some Seinfeld episodes, which, again, arguably, quite possibly the biggest show that was ever on television. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, the first, the first two years, it was dead last in the ratings. Yeah. 
it was the it was the only it was the last show that the networks left alone and let it find its audience. And after that, then it's like you know because of all the corporate stuff, you know now you got to do numbers right now. Uh-huh. And um, but but that first two years of Seinfeld, it, it wasn't it wasn't uh, the hit that it was. It didn't have its audience yet. But once it found that audience and they cleaned up the format a little bit, you know, because remember in the beginning. Jerry would do stand up at the at the top and then stand up between every scene. Yeah, and then when they took that out, it only put the, it put at the top and at the end, bookend the show. It was much better. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but the characters are great. great. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. why you keep watching. Great, yeah. Some of the best characters ever. Yeah. Darkly comedic, you know what I mean? Yes. Alexander, did you want to bring up Crimson Tide? Actually, yeah, I was, I, I was. Feel, I can feel it in you. I can feel it in you. You can, you can feel, <laughs> you can feel my mode. My yeah. mode. Well, what can I say? I mean, two of, uh, I, I consider two of the the greatest actors uh, uh, that, that I've I've ever watched would be Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman. Oh yeah, and, and both of them in Crimson Tide. I mean, I just have to have to ask, how was that experience working with? Two, two, what I, I consider two of the most iconic actors that uh, ever hit the screen. It, it was really cool. Um, in fact, it was that movie where I quit my day job. Um, you know, I was waiting tables and bartending and, um, you know, asked for days off. And the only caveat was you had to cover your shift. So I did that. And then I get a call from the general manager saying, hey, uh, uh, the girl who you covered the shift with, you know, she she hasn't worked the main dining room, so you know we uh, you got to find somebody else. I was like, well, you know, the MOD signed off on it, so if you want somebody else, you got to find them. I'm not coming in. I got I'm working, so I'm not doing it. And uh, and then he was talking a bunch of crap behind my back. And one of the other waiters called me and said, hey, he's he's over here saying he should fire you. I, I said, hand him your phone. <laughs> and so he handed him the phone. I said, "You know, a man would have just called me and fired me." I said, "I said, wouldn't be behind my back talking about me." I said, uh, "I'll come in and pick up my check on Monday. I don't work Monday. I'll come and get it. So go ahead and, and cut that check. I'll see you Monday." <laughs> and that was the end of my day job. Yeah, right uh, But 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 Denzel was awesome to work with. You know, it was like it was it was. Uh, I had met him in '87, and then saw him a couple times. You know, uh, playing basketball at the Y in Hollywood, but. But uh, this is my first time working with him, and uh, man, just uh, really easy to work with. It's like it's like he gives you so much that it's like you know if you're not good, it's because you suck. <laughs> but he's giving you ample opportunity to be good. Yeah, you know, and that, didn't have much interaction with Gene. You know, we I, really that one scene in the rain that we shot, you know, twenty times. <laughs> And him walking with that little dog. <laughs> it's like, other than that, that was it. That was Tony Scott, I believe, right? Yeah, Tony Scott. How was Tony Scott, the late great Tony Scott? Oh, man, he, he was really good to work with. It's like he, he's another one that knew what he wanted to see and um, set the shot up. And, and, and if you had an idea of something that you were doing, he'd he ask you about it, you go ahead and pitch it to him. And he, it was either yeah or nay, but, but a lot of times it was like, yeah, yeah, do that. It was really cool. Yeah, yeah. You often hear that with like the really good directors. They're 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 open to that input. You know, whether they use yes. it or not is up to them. But they're definitely open to hear it. You know, exactly, exactly. Next up would be 
Tales from the Hood, 1995. Uh, Rosalind Cash, who I did Anthony and Cleopatra with, my very first uh, uh, equity show, Actors' Equity play at Los Angeles Theater Center. Um, just a beautiful woman, beautiful spirit. You know, when the movie comes on and, and uh, Killer K is in a cell doing sit-ups and she and I are walking down the thing, you know, we had already worked together before and I hadn't seen her in several years. And as soon as I saw her, she just gave me a big hug and just a sweet lady. Um, uh, you know, she was great in it. It's like, it's like, uh, and that's, that's one of the last things that she did before she, I think she got on a soap opera after that and, uh, passed from cancer. But she um, she was she was great in that film. Just her look, her acting, and everything, and which was really cool because you know the first time I ever noticed her was Omega Man. Remember that movie? Oh yeah, yeah. She, yeah she was in Omega Man. She was great in it. Um, but then, but then Clarence, I mean, just just stole the movie. I mean, he was so good. I didn't have any things with him, but I hung out one day. You know, while they were while they were working with him and just watching him do takes of his stuff, it's just like, man, I'm not even an actor. <laughs> why am I? Why am I even bothering? Somebody get me a mop because clearly this is not what I'm supposed to be doing because I'm not doing it like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been great to see him do that character. That character is oh. one of my favorite characters of all time. Yeah, and then, and then when he gets the horns, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This ain't no funeral home. (laughs) It ain't the Terror Dome neither. Yeah, dude, great. Love it. Yeah. Movie's twisted. I love it. Well, Rusty, I mean, that's Rusty. And and, and here's the thing um, it was a $6 million budget, and Spike took half off the top because they were having a hard time finding money to do the, the trilogy. And and when I first read the script, I said to Rusty, I said, if you can, if you can get these images that you have in the script, it'd be fantastic. And because they didn't have the whole six million, you know, it it, it, it suffered a little bit on the on the production quality side of it. And um, but it's still good. Oh yeah, yeah. And, I, and they did a remake. They did. There's, yeah, a sequel. I, I, sequelized, yeah. I think. Yeah, with. Um, uh, uh, Keith David, David Keith, Keith, yeah, Keith yeah, David. David. yeah, they live, yeah, and uh, Requiem for a Dream, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 Tales from the, yeah, I got a sequ- they sequelized it, and uh, yeah, love it, it doesn't, it does, you know, to know that it didn't have all the money that it should have had, it doesn't even look that way, I feel, the way it, it looks, it, it does have like a little rougher, lower budget look to it, but I think that that yeah. like help that that is like part of the beauty of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's still good. I mean, it's still oh, I love it. Good, but but uh, you know, I wish they would have had all the dope to do it. You know? Yeah. I had a question of fear of the black hat. Did did any rappers ever have any issue with that, or you ever meet a rapper that no. like how you portrayed that man? No, in fact, just recently on Twitter, uh, uh, what's I forget the cat's name from from PM Don said, uh, "Hey man," because I had posted a thing. He goes, "That was messed up." He says, "But we used to watch that thing and laugh." Prince B loved you, man. I was like, "Ah, oh, pretty cool." 
because because I do the the tone deaf thing, which is basically yeah. Chris yeah. B. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, but but then one time I was at the gym in Hollywood, and, and uh, Grandmaster Flash came up to me, and he goes, "Hey man, I'm gonna tell you like this. Uh, it was just like that." <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Yeah, we're we're trying we we're trying to get a little TV thing off. We got a sizzle reel. Um, I think it was 2019, and um, tried to get it shopped, but but you know everybody's like, well, maybe we think it's too far gone. It's, it's too, too long ago. I mean, do all these reboots of these sitcoms. Yeah. And so I I'd like to get it to Fitty to Fitty and let Fitty produce it. I think that would be great. Yeah, you could you could always get into the get with the band now. I mean, there's so much because you just you that's, tell that's, the story. And what that's happened? what it is. You know, what 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 are they doing now? Basically, yeah. you know, it's like you, they're all broke. They're <laughs> <laughs> trying to get back into the game. <laughs> One of them has to be successful. One of them's got to the, the, the hope. The hope. He's got to have his own energy drink or something. Something. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool. You were in Third Rock. I did an episode of Third Rock from the Sun. Me and Alex met um, French Stewart recently. He was very nice. Oh, yeah. Man, that dude is funny. He's a funny dude. He, he was a funny dude. I was supposed to do more episodes of Third Rock, uh, but then the, when they called me the second time, I was working on a film in North Carolina, I think, so I couldn't, I couldn't do it. But, it. but I think had I been able to do it, I probably would have been sort of a recurring character. I think I played a bartender on there. And uh, it's like I was bummed. I was like, ah. <laughs> but but you know, Lithgow was the first actor that I watched in a movie and went, "Wow, this dude is so good." You know what I mean? It was like it was because I wasn't an actor then. You know, when I saw him do Terms of Endearment, I was still in high school, mm-hmm. and he was so good. And it was such a small part, but but memorable and riveting, and 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 just brilliance. Oh, yeah. And uh, I told him that, you know, when I worked with him and he drew me like a doodle, you know, he's, he's like, he would doodle and he, he drew like this whole thing is a doodle and gave it to me opening night, the night that we shot, shot the thing. It was really cool. Yeah, he is. You know, he did like what's uh, the world according to Garp. Oh yeah. Ridiculous. Crazy in that, you know, transformed for that. Yeah. Um, you know, Ricochet, you know, he's a psychopath. You know, he plays yeah. psychopath. He can he can do anything. You really can. Did you see Dexter? His art yeah, and Dexter. The first time you see him, he's such a nice guy. He's bringing his yeah. lady's dog back. Next time you see her, she's bleeding out in the tub. Yeah. <laughs> he's perfect for that. He did a De Palma movie that was like, um, hmm. Look, if uh, Dress to Kill, maybe? No, I don't know. He did He did a De Palma, Brian De Palma movie. I forget which one he did. But I believe he was like yeah. a killer in that, too. But yeah, he is... I get a loveless guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's 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 really he's really uh, a fantastic actor. Yeah, you know, and, and another one that I don't think gets enough credit. You know what I mean? He's good at it. It's true. You know what I mean? He's uh, they he come he he comes. You know, we see him. He he get he he's. I was gonna say like. Cr- he gets, I don't even know how to word it. He gets the, we, we continue to see him, so he, he's still yeah. beloved. It'd be yeah. unfortunate if we didn't see him, yeah. Well, and bounces back, you know, he bounces back from from TV to to film, you yeah. know, and, and a lot of, a lot of, uh, 
you know, in sitcom specifically, I mean, you know, that sitcom was, was, was a huge hit. And, you know, there's, there's not a lot of stars that have been able to do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though <laughs> a lot of them are, are reading for sitcoms now, which is interesting. I remember going into an audition and, and it's like this movie star sitting there. I'm like, well, well <laughs> isn't that just the offer? <laughs> making him read. <laughs> now the, the the little screen has become the big screen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's hey, why I'm doing these podcasts because this is it's even smaller. It's a smaller I know where screen. <laughs> three screens within one, so it's even smaller than smaller. Uh, before you know it, it'll be uh, even smaller. It'll be like just on like your fingertip, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, your glasses! You, you, you just you just you, it's right up here in the corner of your glasses. <laughs> uh, one thing I, I have to say, I mean, as as you mentioned before, um, I I gotta say I was a big fan of the TV series Chuck. Yeah, it's which you play uh, Big Mike. I was doing some research. Uh, it actually said that you first auditioned for Harry Tang. Yeah, yeah, I, I went in. I read for Harry Tang, and Big Mike wasn't in the script. And then um, uh, Josh Schwartz liked me and wrote in the Big Mike character, and that's his history. <laughs> oh, nice! So, so, so I mean, so you you became you were Big Mike. You they they created the character Big Mike for you, which is yeah, which yeah, is really testament cool. to uh, how good you are. I mean, when someone's willing to, you know, there's not a part for you, but writes in a part for you. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was supposed to be like you know, kind of a you know, you, you're gonna be Chuck's boss, it's gonna be a high buy kind of thing. It's way when my agents, it was pitched to my agent, so so he wasn't a series regular. But I did every episode of the first season, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then they made me a series regular the next season, which was really cool. So yeah, probably probably the most fun I've ever well tied with the George Wynn show. George Wynn was, was just awesome. We always had fun on George Wynn show. So between Chuck and George Wynn, it was the most fun that I've, I've ever done. TV. So, so how was the George Wynn? Yeah. I mean, working with, I mean, both Matt and I are big, uh, big Cheers fans. So oh, George is a great guy, man. It's like, it's like one day George uh, sees in the paper that there's this big barbecue competition going on back east somewhere and this, these guys out in Carolina somewhere won so he contacts them and they ship him a bunch of barbecue so we, we get to work one day and he goes hey uh, we'll get off work we're gonna go to my house we're gonna eat this barbecue that, that I had these guys shipping and we get there it, it's so good it was like it was like that cold pork and ribs and you know, we were all full and had to go to work the next day. So oh, God, stay I'm waiting over here. Ooh. man it was great it was great but but George, I mean, he was just like that, just generous like that, you know, just a good dude. It's it's it's. Um, in fact, toward the end of the show, you know, they had retooled the pilot. I wasn't in the, the original pilot, and then um, they retooled it. I ended up in in, in the show, and then uh, the show wasn't getting great numbers, so they wanted to retool it again. They were bringing in uh, James Burroughs and his crew, and then they wanted to retool the actors. And George said, you know, look, if, it's not the actors. He said, if you want to change the actors, then I'm out. And that was it. And I, and I really, you know, you loved him for that. It's like he yeah. stuck up for us. Yeah. 
So the, really? that was the that was the end of it. That was the end of it. So he was trying to call the bluff, and they called his bluff. Unfortunately, one of those things. Yeah, but but, but you know, I, mean, I, I, I but he, huge respect for the man. He, he had gone he had gone through the retooling once before, and yeah. and it didn't fix the problem. The problem, and, and he was right. The problem wasn't with the actors. The problem was. I, in my opinion, was with some of the directors. It's like Robbie Benson, his direct, his, his episode was the best episode. Um, uh, they use Terry Hughes a lot, who directs a lot of, of sitcoms, but Terry is a camera guy. He's not an actor guy. So like, like there was a scene where, um, my character comes in, I'm pissed and I gotta talk to George. I come into the garage and George is over there. And so I'm just going to go right to George. He goes, Ma, um, when you come in, stop at the water cooler where, where Finney is. I said, well, I have the first line and the second line in the scene, and I'm angry. Why would I go there? And the guy is right there. He says, well, I get a nice two shot. And, and when you watch those episodes, you see that, okay, the joke doesn't play mm. across the room like that. It plays in front of the audience because they see the whole thing. But the way they cut it, it was a hiccup in the, in the delivery. And so it just didn't work. And so the problem, I think, was with directing and editing wasn't the cast. Because hmm. now I'll never work with Terry Hughes again, but oh well. Alex, <laughs> I'll put in a good word for you. I'll, 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 I'll smooth it over. I, I, I've been known to smooth over, you know, disagreements. <laughs> you, prefer, you prefer working on TV over film or just you, 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 like both of them? I like both of them. I prefer stage over both of them, <laughs> you know, because yeah, stage yeah. is like, you know, you, you get that immediate feedback from the audience. You know, if you suck right now, you can come back tomorrow and fix it if you can, you know? Um, so I like that. And, and, and stand up is the same sort of adrenaline rush that you get from stage. So I like, I like the live stuff better. Um, yeah. TV and film, you know, you, you don't know how the editing is going to end up. You don't know what take they're going to use, you know, uh, pursuit of happiness, for example, my big scene with Will, my second take um, was my best take. It's like, I, and I knew it. And Will, he, while we were shooting, went, man, that was fantastic. Because he, he watched it on the monitor. He said, you want to see it? I said, eh, I can't watch myself because I change it. I fix it. Yeah. <laughs> so so he, um, when I finally saw it, I was like, oh, they, they use his best take, not my best take. And I get it. I'm not the star of the movie. Um, so you don't have any control over that, but but you have control over what you're doing and, and what people see when you're live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I gotta say, I mean, watching the pursuit of happiness, I I really like your character. I mean, it, it was it, it, it. I I love characters in movies that that might be small, but they have like a very specific point. Yeah. And and, and your character, I really thought really. From the point and and helped, I think, especially in the two scenes that you are with him, helped to elevate Will Smith's you know anxiety and helplessness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I mean, first with him running in trying to write down the telephone number and you throwing out these numbers, and I love it. Like and fourteen's a number at the very. Yeah. <laughs> I almost didn't get the job because I go in and read and uh, Will's people are there. Casting is there. The director is in Italy. Uh, Gabriel Muccino. He's in Italy. So they said, um, you know, I, I leave there and I felt real good about it. I called my agent and said, I said, I said, it went really well. So then we get a call a couple of days later. Um, 
they're going to bring him back to read for the director. The director is in Italy. He'll be back in a couple months. So I go back, and everybody's happy to see me. I was like, good to see y'all. So we started reading, and in the middle of my read, Gabrielle was looking at me like this. And then he goes, no, no, it's not funny. This is not a funny film. This is not, this, this is not funny. Don't make it funny. I said, black people are going to laugh at that. I said, <laughs> I said, whether you think it's funny or not, people are going to laugh. <laughs> and, uh, so then finally, you know, I get the job, and, and I go to San Francisco to shoot. I'm up there a couple months, and uh, uh, Halloween, he has a party. And so I go to the party a little early. And he says, oh, I'm glad you came early. He says, I want to talk to you. He says, you know, um, I didn't want to hire you. He says, because I thought you were too funny. He says, and, and I knew the part needed a rewrite. He says, and now I'm so glad that I hired you because you're bringing stuff to it that's not there. I was like, well, see? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean that's, that's one of the things I always think that is extremely important. I mean... Uh, when when a director or a casting director casts someone that, you know, they, I mean, they might have an idea, but have to be open to, you know, the interpretation that the uh, the actor puts out. I mean, you can go in with like a specific idea and then, you know, the actor brings something else to it, which yeah. I think is very important. Yeah, so, so I always, you know, bring my own spin, and but then I'm willing to you know, if they give me a note at the audition to, to do what they're asking me to do. But I always put my own spin on it. You know, this is the way I see it. And, um, you know, more times, than, more times than not, it works out for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, when, when I'm doing a, a, a project, when I'm acting, I always, you know, read it and I go in with the way I see it. And then, you know, the director either likes it or the director wants me to, you know, change it. Yeah. And I, I think that's I think that's uh, important uh, part with actors that you know you've got you know you look at it, you do it the way the first time you see it and then you know you modify it if you have to depending yeah be on willing it. to make the adjustment and be able to make the adjustment on the spot I mean that's that's what gets you the job if you can if, you know if they can see that they can work with you you make that adjustment oh, yeah. you know then then that's that that helps you. But yeah, I mean, so I mean, I mean, as we're saying, I mean, working with Will Smith, especially in in uh, the the very last scene that you two have, where you guys are, are, are going about the fourteen dollars. I mean, that's, I mean, that as far as I'm concerned, was one of the most heartbreaking scenes yeah. in the movie, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think it 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 what really worked is you got. Will Smith, who is practically, you know, just losing it, and then you're just adamant that no, I don't owe you the fourteen dollars that you know were square, and I mean, just just that itself, like I said, the the um, different uh, attitudes and all that in that one scene just really, I thought, really made it. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 and here's 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 the awesome thing about. You know, movies and people watching movies that that, that uh, you know, I was doing comedy on a cruise and they were playing it in a loop in different languages. So, like any given time of day or night, you could tune in and see Pursuit of Happiness. And I ended up not being able to go anywhere on the ship on the cruise because people were stopping me, going, "Why didn't you give him that money?" <laughs> I was like, "You realize 
there's a movie, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not the real guy. You... <laughs> well, well, I mean, I, honestly, I have to say, truth be told, I, I have to I have to reconsider if I'm going to loan you $14 from now on. <laughs> <laughs> saying, you need $14, and you're asking me. I, I'm going to. I'm, there's going to be there's going to be a little bit of of a hesitance right there. <laughs> well, listen, if I help you move. I think that's worth way more than fourteen dollars. That's true. And, and in my defense, technically, it was Will Smith. Yeah, I needed the fourteen dollars more than him. That's true. <laughs> that is true. That is true. That's a good one for the tell the tell, tell the audience member that. Yeah, if you can, if you think that I'm the real guy doing being that mean, <laughs> right? Any uh, any good stories of working with Tim Burton? On Planet of the Apes? I almost didn't do that one, too. It's like, yeah. I, you know, they hired me, and they kept moving my start date, and then I was I was scheduled to do a play, and we were in um, uh, tech rehearsals. And so I get a call, you know, hey, you're working tomorrow? I said, uh, no, no, no. I said, you need to call my agent. I said, I can't uh, come tomorrow. I said, tomorrow doesn't work. I'm in tech, you know, 12 to 12. So... My agent gets involved, and they go back and forth, and finally it came down to they were going to send a car to San Diego to pick me up, drive me to L.A., do the, do the thing, get me back in time for tech rehearsal. And uh, my agent says, so you okay with that? And I said, yeah. And then uh, and they, they were on a three-way call, and they had them on the phone. Producers, are you guys okay with that? Yeah. All right. So 6 a.m., I'm in a car to L.A. I get to set meet Tim, and he says, you know, I'm so glad we were able to make, make this work. He says, I really loved what you did on the audition, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And so, you know, we do probably about four or five takes and put me back in the car and send me, to, send me back to rehearsal. <laughs> and, and it was fine. I was, I was hoping to work with him on something else, though, because I really like his stuff. I, you know, like, like when I remember seeing uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, and just I became a huge Tim Burton fan after that. Yeah. He's doing a new Batman, I guess. Oh, is he? I think, he, I, think I heard that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because he, he was bummed that they wouldn't let him go dark with with the first Batman. Yeah. You know, it's like, he, he so that's why he didn't, that's why he wasn't involved in the next one, because it, 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 he wanted to do the Dark Knight. You know, he wanted it to be dark, and they wouldn't let him. It's like, well, why are you hiring That's his thing. <laughs> Yeah, Tim Burton seems fun. He like like a kid kind. He's like a big a big kid. <clears throat> yeah, and, and really nice. He's really nice. Yeah. What do you say? I said uh, they're hoping that uh, Tim Burton will become all sunshines and puppy dogs. You know, uh, yeah. they want him to be. <laughs> yeah, they'll be puppy dogs, but they're skeletons. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean that's, that's the thing I always find amazing is you'll have a producer, okay, and and they'll like. For example, see Tim Burton. They're like, oh, my God, this guy is doing great stuff. I want him to do, you know, this film. And then they bring him in, and then when he's doing exactly what he was doing before and doing such a great job with it, they're like, well, you know, um, I think it should be, you know, more... more yeah, they clip his wings. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. like... Listen, if you're going to bring in, whether it's a director, actor, and all that, and they have a certain style, okay, and they go into that style while doing the film, you shouldn't be like, 
Well, I don't know. I think that uh, we should, uh, you know, uh, put a little sunshine there with a little baby smiley face. Yeah. Well, what, 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 what do you like? Like, if you hire uh, Don Knotts, yeah, you're gonna get Don Knotts. That's what he does. Oh yeah, you're gonna get physical comedy and and and, and the writer that that writes with him comes too. Yeah. So, so it's like it's like don't expect you're gonna get anything other than that. That's what it's gonna be. I think producers think that they're collaborators creatively. I think that's yeah. so they go, well, this is yeah. my chance for me and Tim to make a movie together. Here we go. You know what right. I mean? Let me help Tim out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tim's lucky that I came into his life at this time. Right. <laughs> you were, uh, you did an episode of one of my favorite shows of current time grounded for life, which not a lot of people talk about it, but I love that show. You know, I don't even remember Grounded for Life. I'm, I'm trying to think if it, if it was the thing where I was like a, a tow truck driver and had this big giant pit bull. Is that what it was? Dwayne. Your name was oh. and the episode was Pressure Drop. So yeah, that's what. So I get to work and and they bring this pit bull to meet me. <laughs> the biggest pit bull I had ever seen. The head was like enormous and she comes in and she looks at me and then just drops her head onto my lap oh and then i rub her head and she just just wagging her tail she she, had, she didn't have a chopped tail she had a long tail and she'd walk by you and smack you with it just happy dog biggest nicest pit bull i'd ever seen but scary looking when she first walks in <laughs> uh, that's all i remember about that show don't <laughs> trust a book by its cover is the old saying, right? Exactly, exactly. Don't trust a book by its cover. It's true fact. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, there's uh, another movie I wanted to ask you about. Uh, you were in the film K-Pax. Yes. Yeah. How, how, that, was, how was that experience? That came on the heels of the, the uh, 2000 uh, commercial strike. Okay, and so um, so I was out of work for a long time because I was doing a lot of commercials, you know, late eighties, most of the nineties, and then so just you know work had dried up, man. It was so slow, and then uh, we just got a flat offer, and uh, go to the table read, and I was like, okay, this part is not a whole lot, but it's just thankful to be working, and um, so as we started working, you know. Uh, Spacey was great to work with, and and Jeff Bridges was amazing. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. he gave me he, he came in. He asked me if I'd ever seen Past the Pigs. I said no, and he had in his pocket a little thing that looked like this, and he opens it up, and it's it's a game, kind of like a board game, but but it's it's these little pigs. Yeah, and you roll them like dice, huh? And they land certain ways, like like this one landed on its back. <laughs> so that's called a trotter because the feet. <laughs> it's 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 so it's, it's a crazy fun game. Yeah. So uh, he and I played it a few times, and then and then uh, the last day that I worked, he gave me one, and it was so much fun. So I, I bought a bunch of them for people for Christmas, and then I was working on uh, Lost Treasure. With uh, uh, Stephen Baldwin and Nicolette Sheridan, and I showed Nick Nicolette how to play, 
<laughs> they go, where's Nicolette? She's in her dressing room rolling <laughs> pants. It was so funny, but I keep it in my backpack. <laughs> it's fun, too. It's old school. It's not a video. It's not electronic. It's actually Exactly. You know, old school game. You got to be able to, to do math. <laughs> Because you got to tally up your scores. I don't know about math. Uh, math and me have a, a long hatred with each other. Hey, <laughs> it's just it's just simple addition. That's true. <laughs> so so one plus one equals five, right? <laughs> Something like that. Something like sure. that. You owe well, me money. I add. <laughs> 20, 21 if you're naked. <laughs> <laughs> you got to work with Rob Zombie. Loved working with Zombie. Uh, the first, I, I, I did the first um, Halloween movie with Rob, yeah. and um, this is the way he worked with me. He was like, he's like, uh, hey, so here's the written stuff. He says, but I just want this guy to just be talking. He says, so just talk, say whatever. And so he just let me go, right? So I'm just saying whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm improv in this whole scene, and then he's taking notes, and he comes over. And he says, oh, that was great. He says, he says, you said this, this, and this. He says, make sure this time through you say those things again. He says, I love that. Say that again. So we go through it and we do it again. And I say that. And then he comes back. He goes, oh, that was great. Add this stuff in, too, because you said that. And this is, this is great. We do probably five or six takes like that. And then he goes, okay, now put it all together. So then I run it all together and we do it. And then uh, – uh, the the was it Michael Myers character is supposed yeah. to come out of the bathroom, he kill somebody in the bathroom, come out, come into the office, kill me, and then go through the window. So, and we're running out of time. It's the end of the, it's the end of the night, right? So he comes out and doesn't come into the office. He just kicks open the front door and, and keeps going. And so, about mm, six months later, I get a call from Rob going, "Hey." Uh, this is Rob Zombie. I said, hey, Rob, this is good to hear from me. He goes, he goes, listen, he says, I just wanted to call you and tell you that I had to cut your scene. He says, because he didn't come and kill you, and I'm looking for stuff to cut to get under 90 minutes. He says, but it wasn't because of your acting. I want you to know it was fantastic. He says, I'll get you in the next one. And, you know, you, you hear you'll be in the next one many times, and yeah. and sure enough, he put me in the next one. So, good dude. He told me a funny story about Jada uh, Pinkett that uh, – she opened, she had a, a, a metal band. She opened for him. Really? And he said she'd come in, her, her, her kids were little. She said she'd come in, she had a little trench coat, got a little kids walking in. And then you'd hear at, at, at sound check. <laughs> he, he, said it was, he said it was the most surreal thing because you see like this little lady with these little kids, and then all of a sudden you hear this voice. It's like, wow. Yeah, I never would have imagined that in a million years. Yeah. I yeah, know that she was cool. musically inclined. Yeah, I knew that she was musical, but but heavy but metal. No. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, yeah, that's that was a left turn for me. I was like, "What?" <laughs> I love her in Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Yeah, <laughs> first, you know, the um, Alexander Hawk. Do you have any questions, my friend? Um, yeah, actually, uh, one of the things, um, you were in the, uh, movie, uh, Cooties. As Cooties, Mr. great movie, yes. Peterson. Yeah, as a teacher. I was a teacher, and this, this little kid, he, you know, it's, it's like the only time that I've worked that I, that I felt like, you know, I could get hurt, because this little kid was trying to bite me, and, and he was strong. He had, like, superhuman strength. 
because I'm trying to hold this kid off. Of yeah. And he's like, and, and literally, I, just, I think they, they just told him, you know, okay, here's the teacher. He comes out, you know, you, you, you get him and you bite him and, and kill him. And this kid was like trying to bite me. <laughs> and it looks, it looks, you know, when you watch it, it's like my face looks like I'm fearful. And I am. <laughs> it's not just good acting. <laughs> Did you get uh, Elijah Woods uh, produced that as well? Uh, he produced yeah. that right, as well. I was yeah. acting it. How yeah. was Elijah yeah. Wood? He wasn't there the day I worked. No, no. He's a big horror fan. Big horror oh, fan. That's, that's yeah. what I hear. Yeah, he does a lot of horror now. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, his production company is really uh, uh, kind of focusing on doing horror. Uh, I know that. Uh, that uh, he did, he produced Cooties. Uh, there's a Colorado Space. Yeah, he did like Colorado Space, and he did um, Good Night, Mommy, or something like that. I'm not gonna. Oh, okay. Daddy, some daddy one. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, like, uh, welcome home. Yeah, Daddy. It was pretty good. I liked it. It was good. Yeah. Oh, one thing I, I I forgot to ask you that um, since as as we already talked about, you were in uh, Terminator Two: Judgment Day. And also in the TV series Chuck. Now I know that Linda Hamilton played, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Chuck's mother. Now, for my memory, I don't think you two had any scenes together. But did no, we, we didn't have any scenes. But but her first day on set, you, you know, when I was working on Terminator Two, every day Linda Hamilton would come and give me a hug and a kiss. Awesome. Every every single day, she's giving me a big hug and a kiss. And uh, I walk into the makeup trailer, and there she is. She's in the makeup trailer. And I said, hi, and she went, hey, you. And she jumps up and gives me a big hug and a kiss. It's like, you know, hadn't, hadn't seen her since then. And she just, you know, just a sweet lady, really sweet lady. Her sister was in the movie in Terminator 2. And that scene where she, where the, the, the apocalypse happens and she's looking through the fence on the playground, yeah. that's her sister. Oh, really? Sister. Yeah. And uh, she passed recently. Oh, you know, which is really sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but yeah, Linda's just a sweetheart. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, that's that's great. I mean, I I was wondering. I mean, it was it was funny because you know when when you do a film like that, and then you know so many years later you end up on another project with that person. You know, sometimes you know uh, you know people forget or people you know change. But it's great that when you when it feels like no time has passed. And it feels like you know the connection. Yeah, you just pick up. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's that's she has that quality. She's just you know just really, and, and I think part of that is just being real. You know, it's like you, because you make relationships when you're, when you're working. You know, you have relationships with people. Some some you know you keep forever. Some you know disappear. And and but but it was nice to work with her on that because it because it was a chance to see her again and and. Um, uh, and, and express how uh, you know I appreciate her, you know, back then because it, it was it was at that point, like I said, my, the biggest thing I'd ever been involved in, and um, she was really gracious and, and fun to work with. Yeah. Uh, another thing on on Chuck I want to say is that you know watching uh, the episodes and and of course I mean when you're watching the TV show, especially one that uh, that you like so much, you always like to think that everything is. It's like everyone works as well together as they seem on screen. And I mean, especially when watching Chuck, it seemed like everyone was enjoying everyone, like 
really gelled and were great together. I mean, yeah. was that the case? Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, 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 Chuck, you know, especially we had there were 10 people in the cast. Yeah. So, um, uh, I've been on shows like Designing Women where they hated each other. You know, it's like I, I remember the, the, the tension was palpable. I remember saying to, to Meshach Taylor, how do you work like this? He went, I just try to stay out of their way. And, and, and like, like we do a table read, they all just disappear. You know, we rehearse a scene and they just disappear. And it was because they would just at each other. Um, Chuck was completely different than that. Everybody got along. It was really a fun set to be on. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. I mean, and, uh, I mean, working with uh, Zachary, which is now, you know, he's kind of blowing up with Shazam and all that. So, I mean, yeah. I mean it, it, it must have been great, you know, working with him and, and everyone together. Just, like I said, it seemed like a really a good uh, good experience. Yeah, it, was, it absolutely was. You know, and, and, and Zach, you know, gen- genuinely, you know, one of the, one of the most giving um, – uh, to a fault, kind people I've ever met, you know, on, on, in, in Hollywood. Just, just, you know, do anything for you if you can. Just great guy. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Happy I hear that because, I mean, I was a huge fan and I just thought it just, you know, was one of those uh, fun, fun uh, shows that I always like putting on and always made me, I, I like shows that makes you feel good. You, you get a good energy while watching it. Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing I like about it most is, is that, you know, as I travel around the country doing stand up, there's there's the wide range of ages of people that like the show. You know, people that watch it as teenagers, you know, people in their eighties. It's like it's like you know, people love the show, which is really fantastic. You know, we usually, uh, towards the end of things, we usually ask a question. We get a lot of, like, artists and actors and filmmakers, and we have some comedians listen to the show. We always like to ask um, if you have any advice for people for, like, uh, times of discouragement when, you know, because, you know, we know the business is a lot of ups and downs and stuff. It's like, do you have any words for people that might be going through a down, <laughs> you know, yeah. up is coming type deal? Yeah, you, you know, uh, this business is a business of high highs and low lows. I mean, when, when, you, when you're high, you're working on Terminator 2, you know, enjoying yourself, and then and then all of a sudden you got three, four, five months of nothing. You know, you, the lows are low and the highs are high. Um, uh, if you're a person of faith, cling to your faith. Um, if, if not, understand that this too shall pass. You'll hang in there. You'll be okay. Find something else to occupy your time and occupy your mind. You know, take care of your body, take, take care of your mind, and, and you'll be fine. You're going to get through this. And, you know, like everybody had had a low low this past year. You know, we, we were all just sitting around for months at a time, and, and um, we came through it, and we're getting through it and, and moving forward. So understand that, that you'll be okay. You know, surround yourself with good people. Anybody that's got to bring in negativity into your life, get rid of them. You, 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 there's no room for it. The business is hard enough. Get rid of negative Nellies out of your life. Do, do that part, um, and 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 don't forget to have fun. It's like like even if you're just sitting around, find some like-minded people and start start creating together. You know, it's like I I, I just it, locally in San Diego, I, I work with a bunch of people when I'm when I'm not busy. It's like I go and do like a little film with other people. You know, I'm a grip, I'm a a PA or whatever. 
you know, just just find some stuff to do. You'd be fine. Yeah, that's great advice. You know what I mean? Perfection, Mark. You're a great guy. You're a super, Thanks, man. You're a super Thanks. talent, dude. We are super happy. We're excited to have you on the show. You know, we Thanks for having me. Anytime, dude. We're gonna whenever you want to come on, come on. We'll be supporting from afar, and we'll always be supporting what you're doing. Um, like everybody, go check out Fear of a Black Hat. I love it. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Is there anything else? Yeah. You'd like, anything else you want them to kind of check out? Uh, Tyler Perry has a new show called um, All the Queen's Men. I'm doing four episodes of that. Uh, I think it starts in August on BT Plus. So if you have that in your in your in your cable network, check it out. And oh, it's, yeah. it's a it's a rare dramatic role for me. Awesome. Is there any links or websites uh, you want to put out that uh, people can you know uh, see your stand up? Uh, you know, sure. Contact with you. Sure. Go to markchristopherlawrence.com. and all my social media is there. My Instagram, my Twitter, all that. Um, my acting and comedy reels are there, so you can go see that stuff. Um, you know, you can shoot me an email through there and uh, say hello. Uh, but, but you know, I, I talk to people all the time on Instagram, you know, or Facebook. So, so jump in on Instagram and follow Mark Christopher Lawrence and, and uh, be good to you, yourself and, and stay happy and healthy and safe. Amen. For sure. Definitely go out there and support them. Support the show. Support everything. Support everybody around you, everybody. That's all we ask. Well, Mark, again, thank you. We really appreciate it. It was a thank you, show. thank you, sir. Thank you so much. You guys take care. You too. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good right. rest of the weekend. Thank you. God bless. All right. God bless. And with that being said, folks, that was uh, another glorious interview on the Boombaster Cast with our good pal Mark Christopher Lawrence. That was a great stuff. We got a lot of info on that. That was great. A lot of awesome folks he worked with, a lot of awesome stories, all the awesome work he's done. Hawkman, what do you think? What do you think about that? How are you digging on that? Oh, I'm digging. I mean, the thing is that, uh, I mean, is the, the best thing, and 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 hopefully as as we keep on going, the thing that I think uh, I think Mad will also agree with me on yes. is with these interviews, what we are trying to accomplish is not only, you know, hearing these great stories, feeling the, uh, finding out about these experiences, but also promoting, you know, actors that you might have seen but not really know who they are. I mean, you might have watched Chuck, uh, Pursuit of Happiness, and seen Mark, but never really connected to who he is or what he has done before. And uh, that's that's what we want to do. We want to promote... You know, um, anyone and everyone that's trying to create, trying to promote and entertain us, especially after experiencing, you know, COVID times where everyone's, you know, suffering from, you know, kind of depression and they need, you know, that outlet to. And and Mark is one of the many people that that helps us, you know, get through these tough times. Last him, Whether it's comedic or whether it's uh, dramatic. And uh, it was great having him on the show, and hopefully we'll have him on the show again. Mark was a lot of fun. MCL up in the, up in the business. Much clown love. Mark, Mark Christopher Lawrence doing it big. Um, you know, the, the 
that was a perfect example of what we're trying to do with this show. I think to go a little deeper into what you were saying, it's like, we want to have all these cool people that we appreciate in film that have making waves, you know what I mean? Um, that, you know, you recognize and you can tell, and you've seen these films and we get to talk to them about their craft and how they came into it. How you know, the, they, you know, they, all the cool people that they've got to worry, work with, worry about to get to work with and we get to hear the stories of it. You know, we might not have been able to be on the set of Planet of the Apes, but we got the little taste of what it was like to work with Tim Burton. You know what I mean? We weren't on the set of, you know, Fear of a Black Hat, but we got a good idea of what that environment was like. And that's what I appreciate about the show so much. Um, you know, when we're all we're all struggling artists, man. Even when you're even when you pre even when you get to a point of success like he said like mark said it's ups and downs you might be on top of the world on a monday and by friday it ain't quite the top of the world anymore but don't worry because by wednesday you'll be on top of the world again at least in your own mind and you know the place of keeping you stable you know what i mean um and uh, i always appreciate the ends where we get to get that advice i think that's very valuable stuff um very important stuff to spit uh let people know you know, the journey, you know, uh, I think some of the most valuable info that we've had that this show has brought to the light is probably that last question about how to get through things like that. Yeah. Uh, and I, all of our, all of our, all of our, 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 our great guests have answered them perfectly. And it's funny, I was having this conversation with somebody recently and I said, you know, you talk to somebody that really hasn't done anything before and you say, you know, what advice would you give to somebody? And all the people would give the same exact advice. But then when you start talking to people that actually have, you know, making, doing what they want to do, accomplishing their goals and their dreams and doing what we all kind of want to do, when you ask them for their advice, their advice is always different than what, you know, the, the cookie cutter answer is. And there's always gems within these, uh, these answers to pluck from, you know, for everyday life as well as artistic life, you know, and. Mark Christopher Lawrence is the bomb diggity. He's the shit. We love him. Um, super talent. You should support him and love him too. He's done a, we've only covered maybe half of his body of work. You know what I mean? There's things on there that we wanted to go a little deeper into, but I, we had him for an hour and a half and I didn't want to go too crazy with him. It's a Sunday afternoon. I'm sure he's got stuff he got to be doing. Uh, busy man. That dude's doing all types of shite. And like I said, if the, if the, if the show was a big deal in the last 30 years. Mark was probably on that show. So, word up. Um, with that being said, do you want to say anything else in closing, my friend, over there, Alexander Hawk, before we give our plugs? Um, Nothing much other than, uh, as we said before, you know, check out these people, uh, support them, show them love, because, I mean, everyone, I mean goes through uh, tough times uh, as shown through uh, In Pursuit of Happiness where only Will Smith needed was that $14 and 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 and, and Wayne wouldn't give it to him. I've been sometimes, there, brother. Sometimes all you need is $14. <laughs> That's right. And if Rusty Cundee's listening, man, we love you to death too. We want to have you on the show. Okay. Big fans. It would be an honor. Big fans of everybody that we got our product today. And again, yeah, go Check out Mark Christopher Lawrence and everything he does for sure. He's a supporter of our show, guys. He didn't have to come on our show. He did because he's a good man. Show him support and love back. And show us a little support and love. We got the Boombastic cast on Facebook. 
You can check out this episode uh, as well as other episodes in the video format on the Boombastic Media YouTube page. And if anybody's looking to support a little financial funds, a little kickback, you know, government gave everybody a lot of money recently, but nobody gave no money to the Boombastic organization. So if anybody wants to do that, feel free to hit us up on our um, Boombastic streaming on Patreon. Uh, if you want, uh, and if you have any issue with that, come directly get a hold of us. It's probably on our pages, um, and we'll figure out a way to get you guys popping in a boombastic world, so everybody can be boombastical together. Um, Alexander, anything else you want to say, my friend? No, other than it was a pleasure talking to Mark Christopher Lawrence. And it was a pleasure hosting this show with you, my friend. Oh, it was a goddamn pleasure, my friend. Um, everybody, everybody be good out there. Be safe. Follow everybody involved in the show. Um, thanks again, Mark Christopher Lords. And rest in peace, Clarence Williams III just passed. Uh, guy's the man. Everybody involved today was the man um, in a good way. So we'll catch y'all. On the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Peace. Peace.